are you, everyone? How have the last few weeks been treating you and your family? What new things have you learned over the last two weeks? What are the new things you're working on? Are you noticing a pattern here? Can you tell by the way I'm starting this podcast what today's topic's going to be? That's right. It's going to be on questions. Or, I, I, I mean, questions? Wait, wait, wait. So you're going to be talking about questions? How is that an important educational topic? How is that going to help my child, my student, learn during this time? And why are you doing a weird voice? Well, those are all great questions. So let's talk about them. First off, I'm going to be answering all these questions with three assumptions in mind. First is that you've heard my first episode and understand my three pillars. The second assumption is that you're looking for a long-term solution. The short-term fixes are easy. Just go online and search things to do with my child. However, inevitably, you're going to run into the same issue any other parent or educator is going to run to after a while. You're going to realize this isn't working, which is going to bring us to the third assumption. And that is you're willing to spend some time to practice what I'm going to discuss. Remember the last episode? This is the prep time I was talking about. This is the you in education that needs to occur from Pillar 3. I'm also going to be explaining my view on education. So education stems from two Latin words, educare and educere. Educare means to train or to mold. This concept was to train the apprentice, to mold him or her to do the job. This is where the idea of the flow of information originated. It flowed from the master to the apprentice. This is also where rote memory, following directions, and repetition of tasks came from. However, I believe there is an essential element of the training and molding concept that's been diluted with the changing times. And that is, long, long ago, we were training towards a profession, towards a goal. Masons, smiths, bakers, millers, builders, they were all professions that required some sort of apprenticeship. Nowadays, we train them, the students, the kids, for college, which doesn't necessarily prepare them for the real world. Yes, I know, there are apprenticeships out there, but they're not for the younger students. No, 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 no. I'm not saying put your eight-year-old into a factory or anything. But times have changed, and our training programs should adapt with the changing times as well. The events of the last few weeks have shown that we were not ready for the change. Teachers, educators, and families, they weren't able to adjust to the conditions. As a result, we have to ask ourselves, how can we educate? How can we train or mold the kids of the technology generation when we ourselves can't even use it correctly? However, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on this question because due to the fact of what's happening in the last few weeks, we're pretty much going to be forced to adapt. And the teachers, educators, and families are adapting. Now, the second Latin word, educere, and I, I'm not sure if my Latin pronunciation is correct. If it's not, 
Uh, somebody please correct me on that. Educare means to draw out. And this is the one I really want to focus on. This is the one I want to emphasize. This concept of drawing out, it's not talked about enough. In fact, I feel it's been lost with the advancement of technology. The idea of drawing out people's passion, inspiring people, has really been overshadowed by technology. We now think that with all this technology, students should want to learn on their own. But that's not how it works. We know that's not how it works. Because if it was, we as adults would be learning anything and everything under the sun. And if we're not doing it, why do we expect our kids, who mirror everything we do, to do it? So when my company trains educators, we remind them that their job isn't to have all the answers, nor is it even to find all the answers. We ask the educators to simply remember to draw out the inquisitiveness of the human nature. We want them to inspire the kids to be curious again and not to be afraid to ask questions. Because believe it or not, many kids' inner fire, their inner curiosity, has been extinguished. Here's what happens. A young child sees something they find interesting, but they don't understand it. Say, for example, a rainbow. So what do they do? They ask mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, cousin, teacher, principal, whatever adult they see who they believe has the information they need. And then they ask a question. Uh, what's a rainbow? We, as adults, feel, well, they're young and unaware, so it's our job to teach them. And we let them know that, you know, a rainbow forms after it rains and the colors are red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, purple. But what results is that the child realizes that you, the teacher, is a source of information. So they start asking more and more questions. Daddy, what's a bayou? Why is the sky blue? What does inferno mean? Why do you work? What are you doing? When can we go back to school? Why can't we play with so-and-so? And blah, 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 blah. And by the way, these are actual questions my kids have asked me in the last couple of weeks. It gets to a point we become so tired of all the questions asked that we get frustrated at them and we tell them to go find out for themselves. Uh, Mommy and Daddy, we have work to do. I don't have time to answer the questions. Uh, go ask your teacher. Now, the teacher usually is under pressure from the union and the district. They can't answer questions uh, a certain way due to concerns of litigation, so they'll answer like, a rainbow is spelled R-A-I-N-B-O-W, and that's all I can legally tell you. Basically, for the child, they realize that we, the adults, are all too busy, and we don't have the answers that they're looking for. That's right. We, the adults, the educators, are the ones that put out the fires in our kids. What's funny is that we want them to learn from themselves, except we forgot that they have been learning for themselves. And the way that they have been learning for themselves was to ask us. Here's the crazy part. When they realize that we don't have the answers or we're not willing to share the answers, where do the kids go? They go to the internet. So I want you to ask the question again. Uh, why are you doing voices? N no, not that question, the other one. Uh, how's everybody doing this week? No, no, no. I want you to ask the question, 
how can we help our kids, our students, learn during this time? And the answer is, ask questions. I know the first question you're asking is, what is that sound? Well, it's supposed to be a needle scratch. Anyways, the second question you're probably asking is, how does asking questions help me help my kids? I learned this when I was selling insurance. You see, all inexperienced salespeople make the same mistake. They will spend a lot of time answering the customer's questions because they want to be helpful. However, you know what happens after the salesperson answers all of your questions? That's right. You respond with, hey, thanks. I'm going to go home and think about it. Good salespeople are great at asking questions because questions are a way to control the conversation. Questions invoke thinking. When the customer is thinking and responding to the salesperson's inquiries, the customer is not in control of the conversation. So while you're thinking of your answer, the salesperson is actually coming up with the next question that will move the conversation in the direction that they want. Thinking of the right question can make or break a conversation. In fact, just ask anyone going on a first date. This is the same in education. An experienced educator knows how to ask the right questions at the right time and control the direction of the lesson plan. This is a skill that takes time to master, but it also has the capacity for the person to make lots and lots of mistakes. And again, that's okay. It's something that we need to learn from. Questions are the way to long-term solutions instead of short-term band-aids. Now, some of you are saying, I, uh, I already asked questions to my child. I asked, did you clean your room? Did you do your homework? Why did you do that to your little brother or sister? Why did you eat that? Why didn't you eat that? Why didn't you tell me your project was due tomorrow? But those are called loaded questions. And that means your question has a preset answer to them already. And if the answers don't match what you want to hear, then you'll probably have a negative reaction. Now, if you're married, you already know what a loaded question is. For example, you've all heard of the, oh honey, how do I look question. That is a loaded question. Believe it or not, your student also knows it's a loaded question because the answer will always be the same three word response that makes you and any parent see red. Uh, I don't know. Look, it's not that they don't know. It's that they know they don't have an answer that would satisfy your demand. So what I want us to try to learn to is learn about probing questions. Now, this will seem like a very daunting practice. Like everything new, it's going to be unfamiliar. It's going to be different. It's going to feel weird. But that's what the three pillars are about, incorporating you into education knowing that you're going to have to experience this for yourself and feeling comfortable enough to make mistakes. But with time and practice, it becomes something essential that will increase your learning experience and your child's learning experience as well. One more thing. When you're asking probing questions, you're still going to get the I don't know answer as a response. But it's okay. It's normal. You're just going to have to learn how to prepare for it. But I can't be answering questions all day. I have a job to do. 
Yes, you're right. It's not about answering questions all day. I'm asking you to understand that as educators, we've been doing the right thing to condition our kids to ask questions. We, as adults, as educators, as teachers, as parents, have to understand how to redirect it. Google defines a question as a sentence worded or expressed so as to elicit information. What it doesn't say is where the information has to come from, nor when that information has to come. Technology, being as facet as it is, has given our culture this now, now, now idea. We think that when we ask a question, the person has to respond and has to respond now. But that's not part of the definition. Think of it this way. Questions that we want to ask are questions we don't have answers to. In fact, a lot of times, probing questions will give us new information that we may or may not be ready to hear. Here, I'll give you an example. What are the things I can do to help my daughter get through the next few weeks of quarantine? My probing question to that would be, well, what are your goals as a parent? Oh, well, I hope I can get them ready for school next year. And my response would be, does your child want to get ahead for school next year? Wait, what? What do you mean? Why wouldn't they want to get ahead? Here's the thing. It might seem counterintuitive, but not that crazy if you think about it. Some kids, they don't want to get ahead. Why? They're trying so hard to fit in. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be the nerd. And some kids, they don't want to put the work in because they don't see the point. Now, it doesn't make sense to you, but it doesn't matter if it makes sense to you or not because that's the world that they see. They don't see a connection in what they're learning and what they believe will help them in their future. Whether or not it's true, it's what they believe, and there's nothing we can say to change that. So you're basically telling me there's nothing I can do to help my child? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there's no one particular solution that's going to work every time. There's no one panacea that's going to work for every single child. There's not one particular website or one particular activity that's going to help your child with everything. Instead, what I hope you will focus your energy on is to learn how to ask questions to your son or daughter, specifically probing questions that will help you move the discussion in a direction of your choosing. Ask them. Find out how they're feeling. Ask them what they want to do right now. Ask them what they want to do in the future. Ask them why they want to do what they want to do in the future. Whatever they respond with, don't react to the response. Just think about the next set of questions you can ask. Now, again, I have to point out, you may get some, I don't know, as answers. But part of this prep work is to prepare for when they do say, I don't know. How would you respond to that? Will you show frustration? If not, what questions do you come back with to show that you're sincere in your attempt to get answers? Also, 
Listen to the questions in your head. Do they sound accusatory? If so, do you believe that the, your child will respond the way you hope? Remember, don't think about it as a responsible adult would. Think about it as a young or naive kid would think about it. And again, prepare for all scenarios. If it doesn't work out, on f if it doesn't work out at first, don't give up. Simply call it a day, then come back again the next day. But change up the question a little bit, or maybe adjust the wording of the question a little bit. Know that the resistance you meet will be proportional to their age, meaning the older they are, the more resistance you may encounter to answering your questions. However, also know that the time it takes to overcome the resistance will be inversely proportional to the time you spent preparing for it. What that means is, the more time you spend prepping, the less time it will take to overcome the obstacle. For younger kids, before you're about to engage in an activity, like for example, watering plants, you can prepare your probing questions such as, why do you think plants are green? Why do you think flowers are bright? What are things that plants need to survive? What do you think attracts a bee to a flower? Listen to whatever answer they give you, but whatever the answer is, get ready to ask another set of questions. And the more interesting the question, the better. That's right, the more weirder the question, the better it is, because what you're doing is you're fanning the fire within so that your child, your student, becomes so excited to learn about plants that you can direct their attention to learning about photosynthesis or cellular bi biology or whatever. Guess what? You've just helped your son or daughter learn. This is the power of questions. Now for older students, try asking probing questions when you're doing a task so that they don't feel like it's an interview. For example, find some time to do yoga or meditate or play board games or just something together. Preferably not while you're watching TV because nobody really likes being asked questions while they're trying to focus on TV. You can ask things like, so do you like this teacher? Do you like this subject? Do you like school? What do you like or don't like about this teacher or subject or school? What do you want to do when you get older? Why do you want to do that thing when you get older? The key is to take their answers in and gather the info and then ask another set of questions that can direct the conversation. The purpose is overcome the resistance they have from you, the parents, the educator, from asking questions. Once they become comfortable with you asking questions, it means you are part of their inner world again and you can go back to fanning their passion. That will lead to self-directed learning. And all you have to do is get out of the way. A fun way to get comfortable with asking questions is, this is something that we do with educators, is we play the game questions only with someone. The idea is simple. Have a, have a conversation, but both participants can only respond in the form of a question. Now, believe it or not, this is much harder than it sounds, but it's going to show you a few things. Number one, in order to answer a question with a question, you still have to listen to the original question. Number two, you have to understand something about the original question asked. Number three, you have to spend some time to think about how to respond with a question.
what this will do is it prevents you from just responding with a quick response. And with practice, you become a good listener and a good question asker. What I want us to understand is that we as educators should not be the source of information. Instead, we should be the energy source for our students to ignite their curiosity with. I've always said the purpose of education should not be the input of information. Instead, it needs to draw out your student's mind and heart so that you can understand how it works. Because once we understand it, it's much easier to inspire them to play on their own, to think on their own, and to grow on their own. And the way to draw all this information we need, it's through questions. As always, this is not something that you have to go about doing it alone. Feel free to post on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com backslash straight A consulting and let us know things that work or what you find don't work. Any questions? Wait, I'm not done. So one of the probing questions that I've been asking myself is how can I improve the quality of the content? And one of the things that I want to include is I want a chance for us to understand about our community a little bit better. So what I've done is I've created this new section of my podcast that I want to call Community Education. And this is where I'm going to invite local business people to come in and showcase their businesses. Now, this is not going to be an ad per se. I'm not going to say, hey, go to Bob's Diner because he's got the best burgers around. Instead, what I like uh, people to do is come in and tell some personal stories and share some personal experiences so that we in our communities understand that these are the same people that need help and, and learn something from that. So if you're interested in sharing some of your stories and sharing your local business, uh, please reach out to me and uh, we'll get you on one of our shows. Just a couple of things. One, when I say come in, I obviously mean call in. Two, this is a free service for businesses. For now, I'm going to share with you some of the resources that I found in the past couple of weeks. Uh, first off, for those of you that want some STEM-related activities, ideas, videos, check out an amazing group that I've been working with. It's cityofstem.org backslash STEM at home. There are some great sources from organizations such as JPL, uh, California Science Center, Nat Geo Kids. So this is going to, to be a living document. It's going to be updated weekly. Make sure you constantly go back and check out some of the new things that we put on there, including yours truly's podcast. Secondly, have you seen SGN, the Some Good News Show by John Krasinski? It is awesome. There are a lot of positive and inspiring stories to help you feel great about what people are doing to help our communities. And John presents it in a funny way. It's a wonderful way to start your week. You can find it on YouTube by searching SGN or Some Good News. Lastly, I'm going to name drop a bit. So a few years ago, I had the opportunity to help LeBar Burton on a project he was working on. 
You might be familiar with LeVar as Geordi LaForge on the Star Trek Next Generation series or as the host of Reading Rainbow. If you're not familiar, just know that LeVar is a big proponent on reading and he's an amazing storyteller. To help provide comfort during this crisis, he will be doing live stream reading on his Twitter feed, at LeVar Burton. He reads to kids every Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. He'll read for young adults on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can enjoy his soothing voice as an adult because he will read for adults on Fridays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Enjoy!